Chip Michael Campbell was a 36-year-old from Milton, Florida. He had a big family and an even bigger heart. On March 8, 2016, he was recorded on a video camera walking into a restroom at a Circle K. He had two backpacks over his shoulder. He exited the restroom without them. Although the bags were found, he was never seen again. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound. path. Whether you believe in karma, a god of whatever type, coincidence, any of those belief systems that David Foster Wallace mentions in his great speech, This is Water, we all have a start point and we all have an end point. And it's our job to kick maximum butt between the two. However, that's not how it usually goes, does it? Oftentimes it feels like life, the world, our circumstances, we feel like we're getting our butts kicked instead. Our lives often don't go the way we want. It feels like somehow we got off our path to riches, to fame, to peace, to love. And we say, how did this happen? I bring this up because for the first time, I got to meet the family of a missing person. Almost three weeks ago, I got to meet Chip Campbell's sisters, Lisa and Donna. And as I was sitting there at Foxy's in Treasure Island, I was thinking, we at the table had lived on this earth for about 40 years, and our paths are just crossing now. Somehow me, with the risks I've taken, my choices, my excursions, Las Vegas, etc., all that put me in that place at that time on that Monday with these lovely people. Somehow, it happened. It defies explanation. And for them, the reason they were there, what caused their path to intersect with mine, was unfortunately for a much darker reason. The disappearance of their brother Chip. They believed he was on the right path for many years. Good guy, great brother, excellent friend. Then something happened. A car wreck. A suspicious woman. Strange new friends. And before anyone knew it, Chip was off the path. But what do you do when somebody gets off a path? You go find him. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.org. Chip was last seen at the Circle K on Stewart Street in Milton, Florida, between 2 and 4 p.m. on March 8, 2016. Later that night, his roommate, Tanya Rios, sent out a message on Facebook stating that she had come home to find Chip's phone in the bathroom with the battery out and the memory wiped. She also added that Chip's longtime friend, Don Siziolka, had gone out to look for Chip but couldn't find him. Furthermore, in the post, Tanya believed Chip left without the insulin needles he needed to control his diabetes. In the months leading up to Chip's disappearance, his family had become concerned for both his health and his safety. He had started to surround himself with drug addicts and criminals. Chip himself had been in a car wreck due to a diabetic seizure that caused him to lose his license, thus losing his job. He had also lost a lot of weight, going from about 240 pounds 
to under 200. Over the next two to three months after Chip disappeared, the following things occurred. Tanya was thrown in jail due to several felonies, including writing bad checks. A strange man showed up at Chip's house, looking at the roof and ceiling in a peculiar manner. A fire pit was discovered in the backyard where it looked like someone tried to burn all the cooking ware in the house. And finally, a meth lab was found in the attic in June 2016, despite it not being there three months earlier when the attic was searched after Chip disappeared. The family is not sure what happened to Chip, yet they are positive that Tanya Rios knows more than she has said. However, since 2016, Tanya has been on the run from the law, jumping bail, and vanishing. The interview for this episode is with Chip's sister, Lisa Kassoon. Unfound News Unfound finally made it into the top 200 in the news and politics section of iTunes. Last time I checked, it was at position number 112. Nobody is more surprised than I am, and it's been a long time coming. But I need to thank the listeners and the guests, and the gracious mention on the Gen Y podcast certainly helped. Unfound also reached a new high spot on Podomatic as well, number 21 overall. The Unfound website is continuing to be put together. I'm in the process of sending all the episodes, pictures, and information to my website builder, who I've worked with for about three years now on some other projects. If you're looking into building your own site, I would recommend Matt and his company, Vondelphia, at Vaughn.Enterprises. And finally, I have some unique interviews and episodes coming up. You'll be hearing from the host of a relatively new true crime podcast, You'll hear me talk to a private investigator who has been involved in some well-known disappearance cases on the East Coast, and I may have happened upon a serial killer, quite by accident, while looking for my next disappearance case to cover. That and more in the upcoming weeks and months of Unfound. Where you can find Unfound? On Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, at Unfound Podcast. On YouTube, do a search for the Unfound Podcast channel. On Facebook, the Unfound Podcast discussion group. We have over 1,100 members now. If you haven't joined yet, you should. Please subscribe to Unfound on Podomatic and iTunes. And if you're new to the program and like it, give it a five-star review. And please mention Unfound to all your friends and neighbors, along with spreading the word on WebSleuths, Reddit, podcasts we listen to, and all other true crime websites and forums. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Chip Campbell, Lisa Kassoon. Lisa, welcome to Unfound. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here, and it was very nice to meet you the other day. I had a pleasure meeting you last Monday as well, Lisa. That was a a first-time experience for me, uh, meeting a family. So I, I deeply appreciate it. And you introduced me to a really nice restaurant right down the street here. So I thank you for that as well. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Tell the listeners a little bit about your brother, Chip. Very interesting family history that you told me about. What can you tell the listeners about it? I think first things first, if we get an understanding of our family dynamics. Okay, my father was married to my mother, and um, they had four children. I'm the third. 
so my mother died when I was seven, and a couple of years later, he remarried. The woman that he remarried, her name is Shirley, had adopted a child at birth, and um, what she wasn't able to have children, so after she married my dad, it was a surprise she got pregnant. So December 18th, 1979, was Chip was born. He's the baby of the family. Actually came home from the hospital in a Christmas stocking. That's that's a story in a Christmas stocking. Wow. Yes. And so you had this uh, quite a big family, didn't you, with several siblings? Uh, how many brothers? How many sisters? In the end, once this family was all put together. Okay, so there was four girls and two boys. And you have, uh, and this is kind of interesting to me because I'm adopted. You also have an adopted sister that I got to meet when we met last week. I do. We're very, very lucky to have her. And it's a interesting fact that you have two sisters with the same name. <laughs> I do. They're both named Donna. Okay. Yes, I, and everything. Right, we were to when we were talking that it reminded me of the Bob Newhart show. My brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl, and you have a sister Donna, and another sister Donna. So yes, my my sister Donna, it, one of the Donnas is actually my same age. I'm only twenty days older than her. So when we grew up, we we grew up doing everything together. So we were kind of like twins. It was very mm -hmm. very interesting. But then uh, you ended up, you and your sisters really, though, ended up taking care of Chip as he got older because uh, didn't your father's second wife die as well? Yeah, I, we were 12 when Chip was born. So we played a very active role in taking care of him every day, change his diapers, you know, play with him, watch him, things like that. So you had a unique uh, relationship with him in contrast to maybe most other brothers and sisters out there. You were like part sister, but kind of part mother too. In a lot of ways, yes, because we spent a lot of time with Chip. What was he into as a kid? Just, what was he into as a kid? What was it? What were his hobbies and interests? As a child, he really liked to play in the in the dirt, just digging around in the dirt. As he got a little older, of course. Atari was, you know, pretty new when he was very small, and then all the other games that go along with that. But unfortunately, he was diagnosed with diabetes at his, as a young age. Do you remember when that happened, and, and how did that uh, affect his life? Well, Chip was about 10 when he was diagnosed as a diabetic, and my father's a diabetic as well, so they were both taking shots, and I guess... Just like any other kid, shots aren't your favorite thing in the world. So I think it was a challenge at first, but after a while, you know, it just becomes a way of life. Did he handle it pretty well? He got used to it. Uh, like you said, it, it couldn't have been easy. Yeah, I'm imagining it wasn't that easy, but um, he just did what he had to do. And so he uh, grows up to be a young man. What was his education? What kind of jobs did he have? Late teens, early 20s. What did he end up doing with his life? Well, Chip went to Milton High School. He learned how to play the saxophone in 
the band for up in Northwest Florida. He was actually really good at that. And when he was done with high school, he went on to work actually with restaurants. He he was a cook. He worked for Denny's for a while. He worked at Village Inn. And his most recent job that he had had was at Denny's in Cantonment, Florida. And that's the job that he had before he disappeared. Yes, it was. And Chip is actually a really good cook. And where was he living? What was going on? He became an adult. Where was he living? And uh, what was going on in his life maybe in those weeks, months, maybe the year before he disappeared? What can you tell the listeners about that? Well, Chip was living in our father's home in Milton, Florida. And my father became ill. He had a stroke. He had to go to a rehab because he had quite a few deficits after the stroke. So he really needed a lot of physical therapy. Chip was living in the home. He had a dog named Harley, and he spent a lot of time with the dog. He trained the dog. He loved the dog. Harley was very obedient with Chip. Um, Chip was also working, as I said, at the Denny's in Cantonment. So he was pretty much just living his life right there. So was he living in the house uh, with uh, his 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 dad before? Or did he move back into the house once uh, your, your father um, came down with the sickness? No, Chip was already living with, with our father whenever my father got um, ill. And just the two of them? Yes. And so your father has these issues, and then Chip ends up living there by himself. How long did he live there by himself before... And she's going to play a prominent part in this um, disappearance, unfortunately. But how long was he living by himself before he actually thought about getting a roommate? Do you know? That I'm not really sure of because Chip had a couple of other friends that he had allowed to stay with him because they needed a place to stay. Chip was always very willing to help his friends out. So... He had a couple of other roommates before he allowed Tanya to come and stay. So how did Tanya Rios end up becoming Chip's roommate? From what I understand, Tanya is a friend of one of the gentlemen that Chip had allowed to stay with him. And so exactly when and and how they met for the first time, I'm not real sure about. But somewhere around December 2015, he had allowed Tanya to come and stay with him at the home. And did you know about this at the time? Do you remember somebody telling you that he had a woman that came in that was now living with him? When did you first hear about Tanya? I first learned about Tanya actually when I saw some pictures posted on Facebook. No one had ever said anything to me about, hey, Chip has this girl staying with him at the home. I just simply learned about it by accident, probably. And the listeners should know you still have, although you do not live in that area of Florida anymore. Actually, Lisa lives kind of close to where I live. 
But you still have family members who kind of live in the area where Chip was living in the area of that house. They never said anything to you either. Maybe they didn't know about it. Um, possibly, but there is a lot of family that lives down that road. And um, what Chip was doing with allowing um, Tanya to stay with him is just typical of Chip because if he had a friend in need or someone who um, needed him for even whatever reason, he was always willing to help. And he was always a very loyal person to his friends. So he was very caring um, and would do anything possible. So Chip allowing her to stay there was only yet another indication of what kind of person Chip really is. And Tanya's from the area. She actually has children, of course, the chi- but the children weren't living in the house with Chip. But she actually has her mother and her children who still live in that area. Is that correct? From what, from what I understand, that's true. Did you find, before he disappeared, did you ever hear anything about him? Did Chip ever say anything to you about her, if she was... A nice person. Did any of your family up in that area ever talk to you? Any of your other sisters? I mean, how much did you know about Tanya before Chip disappeared? I had learned a little bit when I would see pictures of him and her on Facebook. And I was concerned, worried. I spoke with a couple of the other siblings like, hey, what's what's up with Chip, you know, I'm seeing some changes. I had actually looked her up and found that, you know, she had been arrested before. Um, I suspected that she was using some drugs and, and potentially him too at that point. So we were growing more concerned about him in the, in the months prior to him disappearing. What did you see in those pictures? What did he look like? Describe it to the listeners, that change that you saw him go through. Quite honestly, he looked high. <laughs> he had the glassy eyes, and the pictures were just an indication of what it looks like if you were high. His skin was kind of gray, and it, it was far different than the chip as we know him. Was he losing weight, did it look like? Um, in the months before him disappearing, he had probably lost 40 or 50 pounds. Okay. And listeners should know, maybe you've seen some pictures. Chip was a big guy. Yes. How, how tall was he? How much did he weigh, do you think, at the, at the you know, maybe a year before he disappeared? What would you say his size was? 6'2", Probably 240 pounds, maybe even a little more, considering he's tall. He's a big fella. And then you'd say that he probably might have gotten under 200 pounds by the time you saw some of those pictures. Possibly. Around 200, 190 maybe. He had lost quite a bit of weight. And had you known before Tanya came into his life, had you known of him ever doing drugs? Had that ever been a concern of yours, of anybody in your families? Had you ever even thought about that regarding Chip? I think Chip 
may have used a little marijuana here and there in his younger years, but we were not ever aware of him doing any kind of hard drugs. When you look at those pictures now back, do you think that Chip was thinking that Tanya was his girlfriend? Is that kind of the feeling that you got from those pictures? From those pictures, I wasn't certain if there was any kind of love interest there. I can't really determine that from those pictures. But um, I did feel that Chip loved her based on some notes that we had found later. And given that she had moved in late December of 2015, did you get a chance to see Chip maybe at Christmas or at New Year's? maybe into January. Did you ever specifically have a conversation with him about Tanya? I never had a conversation with Chip about Tanya. I was unable to see Chip in December because our work schedule just simply didn't allow us to make this six-and-a-half-hour drive. But as soon as the holidays were over, like in the first week of January, we went there, and I saw Chip at the home. And what'd you think? When I first saw him, I was shocked. Because I had seen the pictures, I already sort of knew what he was going to look like, but it was a surprise to see it in person. And I knew when I saw him that he was using drugs and possibly meth. And I'm guessing maybe some of your other family members who saw him in person thought this as well. You have your two sisters, Donna. You have uh, an, another brother, maybe they saw him. That Did you all have the same concerns? Uh, we, all of us, had the same concerns with Chip. Okay. And did anybody try to talk to him about it? Did he kind of blow it off or anything? And did that ever come up? That I'm not really sure of. I know that I personally did not mention anything about drugs to Chip, but when I saw him and was shocked, my automatic response to him was, Chip, you look like shit. And then I felt bad because those words are so harsh, and I softened it. I said, well, you look like you just don't feel well. And what do you say to that? Well, then he went to explain to me that he had just totaled his car two days prior. He hit um, apparently a Chevy truck and then a Ford car and then a bicycle shop in Milton, Florida. And he says the doctor diagnosed him with diabetic seizure. And potentially that's what caused the wreck. So, so in addition to you being suspicious about maybe him doing some illicit drugs and maybe he wasn't taking care of his diabetic situation either, as well as he could. Yes. Okay. Let's move up to closer to the time that he disappeared, and then we'll get into some of the specifics of that very day, uh, March 8th, 2016. Um, not long before he disappeared, he, he lost his job. I guess it would be at Denny's. 
Yeah, ultimately, when you get a seizure diagnosis, they automatically want to pull your driver's license. So he lost his driver's license. His car was completely totaled. And now he has this diabetic seizures diagnosis. He's unable to get to work. He loses his job on top of everything else. And he ended up filing for government assistance? He did. He filed for government assistance with food stamps, and he also applied for his disability since he has the seizure diagnosis. And did he get that assistance? Did he end up getting, what is it, an EBT card? Did, he, did that all end up going well for him? Any problems? Chip did get an EBT card, and he was able to use it only once before he disappeared. Let's move up to the day that he disappeared. Uh, what do you personally, as a family member of Chips, what do you know about that day? Uh, how it started? Uh, do you know how he got to that Circle K? What do, what, do, uh, the, what does the public know about his disappearance for that day? His movements, I should say, for that day. Um, first of all, I would like to say that we really don't know what happened to Chip. We don't know did um, he was he afraid of someone and he just decided to go and hide or did something actually happen to him and I'm hoping that the listeners and viewers will actually be able to help us to find out what did happen to Chip. March the 8th there was a Facebook post that Chip was tagged in it was from the roommate, Kenya Rios, and she stated that there was a cry for help, that Chip was missing, and her and another friend of Chip's, Don Suzioka, had looked everywhere for him and called jails and hospitals, et cetera, but they can't find him anywhere. And she was concerned because she didn't think he took enough insulin pins with him. Later on, after yeah, after the detectives got involved, it, this is considered a major crimes case. They did find that his last actual sighting is at the Circle K. He's on video. Um, the Circle K is located on Stewart Street in Milton, Florida, and no one has seen him since. And they have him on this video. We have you have personally no have no idea how he got to the Circle K. It, it maybe the police know, but you personally don't know how he got there. I I do not know how he got there. It's possible that he walked. It's only about four, maybe five miles at the most. And he walks in. You see him there, and he has two knapsacks with him, or backpack, I should say, backpacks with him. And he goes in, and then when you see him again on the video, he doesn't have the backpacks uh, with him. How does he look in that video to you? As you, his sister, you knew him for all those years. How does he look in that video to you? He just looks kind of rough. And the interesting part about it is for just a second, Chip looks straight on at that camera, and you can see he has a black eye. And so he might have had an accident, or maybe he was in a fight. We just don't know. Yes, and, and I personally think he has a black eye because someone hit him. 
but from what I understand was talking with the detective that sometimes when you do drugs and it keeps you awake a long time that the blood can pool under your eye and cause that look of a black eye. So when that night when Chip, I guess, allegedly doesn't come home, Tanya puts out this Facebook post for everybody to see. Don Sizzy Olka is mentioned in it. She just doesn't mention that possibly uh, Chip did not take enough insulin with him, but also that he left his phone there um, with the battery out of it. Is is that true? That's true. Um, Chip's phone was found in the master bathroom. It had been factory reset and the battery was removed. And apparently she got his phone and um, turned it back on, of course. But I had called. When I saw that Facebook post, I was immediately alarmed. I texted my brother and asked him if he had seen Chip that day. He said no. I talked to my sisters. Um just to see, hey, do you know any where Chip is or anything because of this weird Facebook post? And they said no. I called San Rosa Sheriff's Office, and I asked them, I said, look, I don't know what the problem is, but here's the situation. I need someone to go see about my brother. So that's when they went down there, and I called Chip's phone, and Tanya answered. And she basically told me the same thing that she had said in her Facebook post. Would you say, and this was the next day, um, would you say that she sounded concerned? Concerned? Yeah, she sounded concerned, but it was basically just the same thing that she had said on her post that um, that she couldn't find Chip and she's worried that he doesn't have enough insulin with him. And the police went over there. What did they do? What did they tell you? What did they see? The police were there for quite a while that night, just questioning. And um, they were actually able to question Tanya and his friend, Don. Um, They did say that the house was a mess. (laughs) But they also went three doors down and and, uh, interviewed Chip's aunt, her name is Sissy, and um, they were basically just gathering information. Do you know, happen to know the last time, being that she only lives three doors down, do you happen to know the last time that Sissy saw Chip? I don't know the last time that she saw him, but I do know that in the period of time before he went missing, he was in a situation where it's Life was a struggle because he didn't have a job. He he didn't have money. So he would go there and fix himself a sandwich or eat with her, probably on a daily basis. And she then obviously saw these changes that he was going through as well, the ones that you could see through pictures or uh, talking to him, you know, maybe back in January. But she was right down the street, and she saw kind of what was going on with his change, losing weight, et cetera. Yeah, she she had been concerned about Chip as well. She had also told you a story that not long before Chip disappeared, he was selling furniture. 
Yeah, apparently Chip and Tanya decided to have a yard sale, and so they were selling whatever they could. They were probably just trying to raise some funds. So we get to the next day after anybody had seen Chip, and the last recorded place we have it is at the Circle K. The next day, were there any searches done? I know that you had uh, a very prominent group involved in all of this. Uh, what can you tell? What did you and your family, what did the police do in trying to find what happened to Chip? We were actually connected with uh, Class Kids Foundation, who, if if the listeners are not aware of who the Class Kids Foundation are, I highly recommend you look them up because they are a nationwide group that search for missing people. And they have highly trained cadaver dogs and stuff. So we did do some searches and there was one spot in the yard that the cadaver dog did hit on, but we didn't really find anything there. It's still an open, active case. And I know Class Kids is going to be doing some more searches probably in the near future. They've really helped you, haven't they? I know you've said some nice things about the assistance that they've given you. Yeah, I really like Class Kids. I actually had the opportunity to meet in person the founders of the group, Mark and Violet Class. They are very nice people who have taken something, a personal tragedy when their daughter Polly Class went missing and was later found murdered. They used their grief and sorrow and channeled it into something that is now nationwide and they help a lot of people. And so you did these searches. You uh, One thing, though, did turn up, and that was the backpacks, but they weren't found in the bathroom of that Circle K. What can you tell the listeners about, about that? Where were they found and what was in them? And the two backpacks, um, one was recovered from the dumpster at the Circle K, and um, it contained just various things, and I don't remember everything on the list, but it did contain my father's birth certificate, um, an insulin pen, and some peanut butter and crackers, which is pretty typical for the insulin and then the snack because he's diabetic. That's how diabetics normally travel. But so one of the backpacks had that in it and the other one was empty? I'm not sure. Uh, from what I understand, the other backpack was uh, left in the dumpster. What do you make of your father's birth certificate being in that backpack? Any Has the police ever given you any theory regarding that? Has anybody else uh, with any knowledge of this case given you any theories regarding that? What do you think? No one has actually given me a theory about it, but I sort of think that maybe Chip was trying to protect our father by keeping his private personal information to himself so that other people around the house would not be able to, to I guess, get it. Possibly some sort of ID theft situation that we're talking about? Possibly. And um, I think he was just trying to protect our father. So we move on. Uh, let's go back to Tanya. What does she do 
after the day that Chip disappears. Obviously, she was the first one to post on Facebook to say, hey, something happened to Chip. But what went on in maybe the days and weeks after he disappeared? How would you, what would you, how would you classify her behavior? Uh, interesting. Uh, March the 9th, Santa Rosa Sheriff's Office arrested Tanya Rios because they, their statement to our family was that all roads lead back to her. And the interesting thing about that, it was March the 9th, 2016, she was arrested. She has a black eye as well. So Chip has what looks to be a black eye in that Circle K video. And then the next day, Tanya, this is March 9th, the day after Chip disappears, she's arrested for whatever reason, and she also has a black eye. Yes. Why did they arrest her? She was arrested because she had a warrant in the neighboring county, Scandia County, Florida, and the uh, investigators felt like all the roads were leading back to her, so they wanted to go ahead and pick her up. And so she went to jail, but did she get out on bail? Did somebody post bail for her? I mean, ideas about that. I don't remember exactly how she got out, but I don't know. Maybe a week later, she was let out of jail. Okay. Now, she made some interesting comments after she got out of jail regarding uh, the house and some other things that went on, some other things that, that she did. Uh, what can you tell uh, the listeners about that, maybe starting with the, the squatter thing? My sister, Donna, had actually told her that we needed her to go ahead and leave. Since Chip was not there, she needed to go. And even in front of the officer, she made the statement, I have squatter's rights. I'm not leaving. What did you make of that? Did, I'm, I'm going to guess that Tanya is not an expert on the law. Um, what did you do about it? I um, I think I think that she probably honestly knows legal system very well because she tends to know how to jump through the hoops. But I thought it was interesting she said she has squatter's rights. And she did some other things that that got her in trouble. I mean. I guess what we're trying to show here is that on the night of Chip's disappearance, she was all concerned about him and everything, but it didn't take too long before she just went back to her own ways of felonies and thinking about herself. And it wasn't too long after Chip disappeared that it seemed like she put that far in the rearview mirror. Was that, was that your, that's the impression that I get reading about this case. Was that your impression? Um, I don't know if she has any felonies before Chip disappeared. I do know that she had some misdemeanor charges before, um, like harassing communication and stuff like that. Um, but no felonies before Chip disappeared. <clears throat> I do know that since Chip disappeared, she has a lot of felonies charged on her. Um, most of which is due to drug use and some other stuff. And she bounced some bad checks, didn't she? And whose checks were those? 
Well, during the time that we had found out that Chip had disappeared, we also became aware that our father's bank account was overdrawn by hundreds of dollars, and she had been writing checks from my father's checkbook that she found in the home and cashing them. And was she ever charged with that? Was she caught with that? Or, I mean, the people should know. Maybe we should just put this out there now, Lisa. The Tanya is a fugitive. She ended up... Basically, yes. Yeah. The, before she was, before she disappeared herself, not, I don't think by anybody on purpose, I think that she was just trying to get away. Before she disappeared, were the police able to track her down regarding these poli- these check bouncing charges? fraudulent check writing okay so Tanya was arrested March the 9th 2016 she was let out maybe a week later um, April 6 2016 in Escambia County Florida which is the neighboring county she was arrested for her own doing drugs I think she gave the police officer a, a fake ID or anyway she had some charges there she was currently in Escambia County Jail when we went through with the charges from Santa Rosa County for every check she wrote from my father's bank account she is charged with a felony and she was also charged with a felony for exploiting the elderly when when she was released from Escambia County Jail, she was automatically rearrested and booked back in Santa Rosa County Jail on those charges. She stayed in there, I guess, a couple of weeks, and she bonded out. And from there, she left and went to the Florida Keys. And that's virtually the last time anybody's heard from her. Um, Well, when she left the Northwest Florida area and went to the Florida Keys, apparently in July of last year, she was arrested in Monroe County and charged with uh, drug possession. I think it's cocaine and then uh, drugs without a prescription. And um, she was held there for a while and then she bonded out on a $125,000 bond. After she bonded out, she left, and it looks like she may be in the California area, uh, somewhere around Sacramento. Um, I'm not exactly sure of her exact location at this point, but she does have some wanted posters out there because she has skipped out on her $125,000 bond in uh, Monroe County, but she's also neglected to show up for court in Santa Rosa County on my father's case. So she is wanted there as well. She attached another felony charge on her for her failure to appear. So what you're saying is there are a lot of people after love. A lot of people would love to bring her back to Florida and see her being, you know, put in jail for a while. A lot of people looking for her. Yeah, they are. And it's unfortunate. And it's very possible that it's just because of her drug use that these things are happening to her. Um, I really just want to know where's my brother. Of course. Of course. And she, uh, she might 
have an idea, and that's one of the reasons, you know, would love to track her down. That's going to be a main focus of this episode. What can you tell? There, there was something other that's maybe a little distressing that you found out about. I don't think you found out about this until after Chip disappeared. Uh, something regarding your uh, a cousin of yours, a uh, gun that he ended up having. The chip yes, ended up we having. Found out, yeah, the night that Chip disappeared, a couple of us had actually talked with Tanya on the phone. Okay. And my sister Donna was on the phone with Pam and apparently Tanya at the same time that night. Tanya was concerned about who owned the house. And her thoughts at that point was that Chip owned the house. And Donna informed her, Chip does not own that house. That house is owned by our father. So she was concerned about exactly who, I guess, had ownership. And um, it, during that time, also, that the, the, the detectives were talking with my aunt, they found out that the gun was missing from my aunt's home. Later on, we found out that Chip had been sending some text messages. He had a couple of really close friends, and he had informed his friend Dennis that he was afraid and that he had gotten a gun from his dead uncle. And at that point, we had learned that the gun was missing as well. D is the, are you under the understanding that he? surreptitiously took the gun from their house. He technically wasn't given it. Uh, we're not here to make judgments here. It's obviously he was maybe in fear for his life who from, he was in fear of somebody or something. And uh, is it your understanding? Maybe he just took it out of the house instead of maybe asking for it. From what I understand, and I have seen and have copies of all the text messages that, um, Chip had communicated with his friends. Chip was afraid of someone. He would not say who. He said that he had obtained a gun from his dead uncle. And the fact that Chip is gone, the gun is gone, we believe that Chip had the gun when he disappeared. But the gun was found, wasn't it? And we'll just leave it at this. We'll just, I just don't want to get too deep into this. We don't want to go down that direction. But the gun was eventually found in somebody else's possession. The gun was found, um, I guess someone had turned it in, in Cantonment, Florida. And the um, police officers and everything, of course, took it and did some ballistics and stuff on it. To your knowledge, the person who had the gun... And wherever he says he got it from, none of these people could be connected to Chip or any anybody like that, to your knowledge. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Chip's cell phone. You, now, you told me that you had gotten to see some of his texts and his records and everything. However, the cell phone, at least in that post that, that Tanya had posted, said that the memory had been wiped. But you were able to... Um, put it all back together or somebody was. And what can you tell the listeners about some of those final calls and texts before Chip disappeared? And do you believe that he had his phone with him when he went to the Circle K that day? 
I'm not sure if he had his phone with him when he's on the video at the Circle K. Um, I do know that the police have the phone and they still have it in their custody. They were able to forensically bring the phone back and they haven't disclosed all of the uh, details to me, but we do know of some of the people, some of the last people that he had talked to. And I'm not going to ask you uh, for those people's names, but any any concerns, pretty regular calls, would you say, or anything that really, really popped out at you when, once you got to see those records? Um, well, I think one was to a drug dealer. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I really personally don't know exactly in the last couple of days before he went missing. I don't really know the details on that. Okay. And I'm sure, though, that the police, if they did put this phone forensically back together and were able to look the text and the phone numbers, I'm going to guess that they probably went and talked to these people at least once. I am. I probably so. I am. uh, I don't know if I know how to answer that question. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, what I when you when I first heard about this, uh, it was uh, I was very surprised to hear this. Well, I was wouldn't say I was surprised, but the listeners can just judge it for themselves. Sometime after Chip disappeared, a guy we're just going to say his first name is Thurman came over to the house. What can you tell the listeners about that? Well, that was very interesting day because. My sister Donna lives in the home, and a gentleman by the name of Thurman came to the door and asked Donna about if he could cut her grass. And she explained to him, you know, I don't need anyone to cut it right now. But he was really focused on looking all around the house. Even he went in the backyard and looked all around the house, looking on the roof, everywhere. And he kept asking her, what's going on here? And she got a little suspicious. Um, Thankfully, Donna had been on the phone with our cousin Pam, who also works for the DOC. And she looked this guy up, and Pam told her, get him out of here. He has been to prison a couple of times. So we talked with the investigator, one of the nonprofit groups that's helping us. Her name is Nina, and um, she says they're looking for something. There's something in the house. So her and her son came to the house and brought a ladder, went in the attic, and found a meth lab. And they found a lot of ready-made drugs in a suitcase. And there was about eight quart-sized pickle jars full of drugs. That's stunning. How did you yeah. find? How did you personally? I know you weren't there when this happened. How did you find out about that? Who told you about that? You had to be stunned as well. I was on Facetime. I saw it happen. Uh, Nina had me on Facetime, and I was really surprised. But then I realized it made sense because right after Chip disappeared, all of us traveled to the home. 
we stopped what we were doing in our life and we were all there and we couldn't figure out why next to the house there was this really big burn pile and in the burn pile you can see the remnants of kitchen things like pots and pans and spoons and stuff like that that you would use in the kitchen and we thought why would they be burning the kitchen utensils and then it made sense when the meth lab was found that apparently someone had been cooking and we feel that and Chip had been seen not long before he disappeared he had been seen burning things in that pile so my thought is that maybe Chip was trying to get rid of all of that because he didn't want that in his father's home. Yes, because all of that silverware and pots and pans, those were his father's. That was your house. Yes. When the police, let's go back. When the police, how long after Chip disappeared did that happen? Weeks, a month? That ship disappeared March the 8th, 2016, and it was somewhere around June 2016 when we found the meth lab. So the it house was... had been searched. Wow. Yeah, the house had been searched from Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office and class kids, okay? And then Tanya insists she's staying at the home, so we had to pay to evict her legally. And so she had possession of the house for about a month before we could legally get her out of the home. So the police and, once again, the nonprofit groups, they were in the house. They looked around. Do you know specifically that they looked in the attic? Yes, I was told that they looked everywhere. Okay. And so the meth lab wasn't in the attic when Chip disappeared, but then three months later, this suspicious guy shows up. He's staring at the roof. You get suspicious. Your family gets suspicious. You go up in there and you find that. So obviously in that month after Chip disappeared, Tanya and friends started this. Apparently so. Okay. This Thurman guy, have you seen him since? Has anybody heard from him since? Did the police track him down? To your knowledge, did, did any of that happen? Um, to my knowledge, I'm not aware. From what I understand, he lives not far from the home, farther down the street. Um, I do believe my sister Donna has seen him here and there, but he hasn't been back at the house. And to your knowledge, she's not been connected in any way to Chip's disappearance or, or any, anything like that? To my knowledge, I, I'm not aware of any of that. Okay. He could have uh, just might be a guy with a drug problem, knew there was meth there and was showing up to buy stuff. Your sister answers the door. He thinks, well, this isn't right. Where's Tanya? And then he says, well, you know what? These people aren't going to help me out in his leaves. It could be something as simple as that. Well, it could be, but I do know that Tanya was released from jail the night before. And oh, okay. she had stated before, whenever she was out, 
my sister Donna had asked her in a text message, you know, can you get your things? And she said, well, I need, I'd have to get someone with a truck. And Donna told her, why do you need a truck? You have no furniture in the house. And um, she didn't elaborate on that, but she just stated she needed a truck. But now that the meth lab was found, it seems to me logically that she probably needed to get her drugs out of the attic. That makes a lot of sense, Lisa. I agree with you. Now, the meth lab yeah. was taken, and it was uh, the police took it with them, and they did some forensics on it, didn't they? Yes, they did, and they are fully aware of who this meth lab belongs to, and I am pretty confident that they are working on that, that okay. they are actively investigating this. They do have someone in jail whose prints were on that meth lab, I am entrusting them that they know exactly what they're doing. So I want to leave that there. Right. We're just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Now, there was a, a guy who was mentioned, we've mentioned before, and he was actually mentioned in this post regarding Chip's uh, disappearance when Tanya went on Facebook and was Worried about him, said she came home and his phone was there and didn't leave, you know, left his insulin there. His name's Don. Uh, what can you tell the listeners about Don? I remember Chip having a friend named Don when he was very young. So, but I, I wasn't aware of what his last name was, but only when I saw the, the Facebook post did I know his last name. But I actually spoke with him that night as well, and he had explained to me that he had been Chip's friend since kindergarten. And did, did you ever meet Don in person before? If he's been a Chip, a, a friend of Chip's all this time, did you or any of your sisters personally meet him over the years? Actually, um, I do remember Chip having a little friend named Don. Um, I had not seen him in his grown years, but one day. When we were doing a search um, on Mother's Day, I actually got to meet him in person. So that would have been Mother's Day of 2016. So May, like a couple months after Chip disappeared, uh, he showed up and agreed. That was actually this this year. That oh, was, was it? 2017. Oh, yeah. was it? Just this year? So just a, just a month ago, a month and a half ago? Yes. Yes. And what would you, what did he have to say? If you can, what, what do you feel comfortable in telling the listeners about running into him over a year after Chip disappeared? He, he was just willing to be there to help find his friend. And I had actually spoke on the phone with Don before, and he had shared some really nice, you know, little childhood stories of when they used to, you know, stay the night at each other's house and, Things like that. So you got to meet Don that day. What were you left with the impression that he was trying to be helpful? Absolutely. He was there. He stayed the whole day, you know, trying to start. Um, it was nice to meet him because anyone that has any knowledge of who Chip is, I certainly want to take the opportunity to get to know you. A couple more items. There was a receipt found for ammunition in the house once the house was gone through after 
Tanya was gone. Police went in there. You went in. Your family went in there. Class kids, I, I guess, went in there as well. You found some a receipt for for some ammunition and some Lake Tex gloves. Um, is did that happen? Is that true? When Tanya failed to pick up her belongings from my father's home, we collected her things. We bagged them up and uh, secured them in a storage building. And um, there was a receipt that apparently had been purchased, 45 ammunition, about two weeks before Chip disappeared. Yeah, and the ammunition was 45 caliber, but that was not the caliber of the gun that Chip had, was it? I don't believe so. There was one uh, more, uh, we'll just use, if we could use his first name, his name was James. He was at the house around the time that Chip disappeared as well. What can you tell the listeners a little bit about him? We did find out later that they're from a source that there was a gentleman at the house the day Chip disappeared. His name is James, and he apparently had an ice bag on his knee, and he said that he had hit his knee with a hammer. And when was this exactly again? When was this around? March the 8th, 2016. And um, this same person used to drive a truck, and right after Chip disappeared, he moved and he changed vehicles, so he no longer has the truck. So you have Chip... On March 8th, at least the way it looks from that video at the Circle K, that he has a black eye. Tanya, when she was um, charged the next day, she was taken into custody. Her picture was taken. She had a black eye. And then we also have this other guy who knew Chip, who knew Tanya, had been known to be in the house before, before March 8th, 2016. And he has a knee problem. Yes. And furthermore, when you go in the house, the first thing that I noticed in the kitchen, there is a big dent in the wall, in the sheetrock, and it appears that it is about at Chip's height of his head. It's it's up there. President Tanya had even stated that When she got home, the house was in disarray, and there was mud throughout the house. And the dog, Harley, was apparently left to just run loose in the house. And the back door was open, and I believe she had said the front door had been, um, I guess, blocked. I guess what we're saying is that there seems to be evidence there that maybe... There was a fight that broke out, maybe between Chip and Tanya, maybe James intervened, or maybe it was between James and Chip and Tanya intervened. We just don't know, but it just certainly seems like a lot of people were having some accidents in that house. It appears so. We don't know. Did Chip get afraid of something or someone and he just left? Or all? But when you hear all these circumstances, Surrounding his disappearance, it does also lead you to believe it's very, very likely that something bad has happened to Chip. 
Unfortunately, that you're right. That is a possibility, unfortunately. Have you and your family ever been able to make a connection? For example, as you said, Don and Chip had known each other quite a while as they were little yeah. kids. But 30, yeah, 30 plus years, 30 plus years. But some of these other people, and we're just going to, once again, just using a first name, James Thurman. And there's some other names that we can't mention in, in this uh, interview for privacy reasons. Do you know any connection that Tanya had to any of them? Were they were these people that Chip only knew because Tanya knew them? And do you have any idea how Tanya might have known these other people? Did they know? Did she know them before Chip ever came into her life? Do you know anything about any of that? Um, that I'm not sure of. I do know that after she started staying there, um. Of course, she would have known him because Don would come to the house and see about Chip, you know, and of course she was there. So exactly how they knew each other or if they knew each other before, I, I'm not aware. When you saw Don just five weeks ago, six weeks ago, did Tanya's name come up? No, we didn't talk about her. We just simply, you know, were focused on what we were doing um, we waded through all the swamps and things. We were actually really looking. How big of a search? How many people showed up just five weeks ago? It was quite a few people. I'm going to say probably 50 or more volunteers, people who put aside their Mother's Day plans to help us. And we are so grateful for each and every person that showed up to help with the search. That is a, that's a nice turnout, Lisa, especially, yes. uh, you know, for disappearance that was over a year old. That's actually really good numbers. And um, I was interviewed at that time by Channel 3 News, if anybody is interested in hearing the interview. But um, I appreciate everyone's help. Any efforts that anyone has put out on behalf of my brother, on behalf of our family to help us find out because when someone you love goes missing, it it tears you apart. I can't even explain how hard it is. Yes, you've been uh, through a lot in the, in the past year. As we said at the beginning of this interview, you and I got to meet in person. We sat across uh, across the table from each other. Your sister, one of your sisters, Donna, sat next to me. We had a nice conversation for a couple hours and I could tell that it's, it's been very difficult for you. It's been very difficult. And all of this stuff with we're learning about Chip was things that we had ourselves never known because it seems like he kept that part of his life away from family. So we're learning things there are a surprise in addition with our brother being missing. You know, we talked about that and I, and I have to tell you that I, I, I don't want you to get the idea that I, that I think that he was not telling you this stuff and being totally forthright with you because he was underhanded or something. I, I think that, you know, there might've been maybe a little embarrassed or something like he might've felt like he was letting, you know, you and your sisters down, your family down. I, I, don't... I absolutely believe that. 
One thing that Kenya said in her Facebook post that I wholeheartedly agree on is her description of Chip. Her words are that he has a giant-sized heart, and I can tell you that is the truth. I agree. That's that's the impression I've gotten uh, about him. As much as I've read uh, about his disappearance, there have been a couple other shows like mine that have covered his disappearance. I guess within the last six months, something like that. And that's the impression that I've gotten as well. It just seems like he's a good guy that um, maybe just got off the rails a little bit and ran into the wrong people. He was struggling with some things. Um, But I I don't believe uh, that he was necessarily a bad guy. I mean, to your knowledge, I mean, in all of this, everything that had been going on in his life, let's say the year before he disappeared, did he ever get any charges against him? Had he ever been in jail or anything? Yeah, Chip had been arrested for a DUI before. But was it recently before he disappeared, or was that years past, or how? how? Probably about two or three years prior. Two or three. He had gotten a DUI. Chip, I feel, was lonely at that time. Because my father had went into a rehab, and that's really sad, too, because you, you see your father who has raised you and spent his life doing for you, and then you see them at a point where they can't do for themselves and, and they're not well. So I think it was hard after my father had to go into the rehab setting for physical therapy and things. I think it was hard for Chip, and I think he was lonely. Also, in Tanya's belongings, there were notes that were written by Chip. And he was saying, I've always loved you. So I know Chip was in love with Tanya. But she was not the kind of woman that maybe a good guy with a big heart should be liking, right? That's kind of the feeling that I get for her. She was kind of a squatter, just as she portrayed herself later when she wanted to take control of that house. I think possibly so. That doesn't mean that she had anything to do with his disappearance or or anything, but it sure would be nice if somebody could track her down and we could just ask her. I, I would like for someone to be able to find her and see if she's willing to really talk about what happened to Chip. And I'm really hoping um, that she's able to get off to all these drugs. I really hope that for her. You had told me uh, some uh, about a picture that's very special to you. It was the, the last uh, family picture that you have of Chip. What can you tell the listeners about that? In this picture is my father. Right after he has a stroke, he's in a hospital bed. But it is a rare occurrence. All six of us kids are there with him. And you can see that picture was taken, I think, a little more than a year before Chip had disappeared. And you can see that he does not look to be on any drugs. His weight is probably about 240. And um, you can contrast that with a picture of Chip that was taken shortly before he disappeared and actually see the difference from how he was before, which is how he would normally look, 
versus how he looked at the time that he disappeared. We haven't talked about your dad too much, but he took he has taken Chip's disappearance quite hard. I, I know you probably um, don't want to get any into any of the the particulars, <laughs> but he's taken it fairly hard. Yeah, my father um, completely lost his ability to speak after he he had the stroke. And it has slowly come back, and he can speak some, but you can tell that it's hard. Um, so we try to keep things sort of simple where he's concerned. We had asked the rehab center when Chip was going to be all over the news. We had called them when we were leaving the detectives and, and asked them to please change the channel at the rehab. We didn't want our father to hear a story on the news. So we all went to him, and we kept it simple. We asked him, have you seen Chip? And he said no. And we just said, you know, hey, is it okay if we put a bulletin out? Because we're all looking for Tim. And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. So, But within a couple of days, we had a call from the rehab. My father was really upset and he they had found him in the parking lot in his wheelchair crying and trying to leave and when we got there it was absolutely gut-wrenching it was so hard because all he wanted to do was go find his son that is one of the I don't know. That's one of the, the toughest stories that I've heard since I've started doing this program. Yes, it, it has been really hard. And so we had to stay with him and reassure him that we're going to do everything possible to find him. How is your father doing now? He, he is doing okay. He's holding his on, on. He's getting some therapy. He is able to speak. He does seem depressed a lot, and that's completely understandable. We just try to visit him as much as we can. Where can people find you, your family, on the Internet if they want to reach out to you, if they want to find out more about Chip, maybe they want to look at some of these pictures that we've described uh, mm-hmm. in this program, in this interview, maybe the, the photos, you know, the one photo or the video of Chip uh, at the Circle K. Where, where can uh, people find you online, Lisa? Um, there's actually two Facebook pages. One is run by my sister, Laura, and she, the name of the page is Where is Chip Michael Campbell? And it is an upbeat um, discussion on there. And you can see lots of family photos. And sometimes she can put some updates and things like that. Uh, there are times when we're reluctant to say a lot because we don't really want to hinder an investigation. But at any point, if anyone has any information, you can message her on that page, and and we're happy to to share and to hear, you know, anything that anybody has that can possibly help. Mm-hmm. And there is another Facebook page that is run by our cousin Pam, and it's called Finding Chip Campbell. 
and you can get some information from there as well. Very good. Any last words, Lisa, before um, we conclude this interview? I really just want to thank you so much for this opportunity to tell Chip's story, to uh, get this information out there. I'm asking anyone, if you have anything to share with us, we, we're very willing to listen, and we appreciate any help that we get. Also, if you have information as far as an investigation sense, if you don't want to contact a family, we highly recommend to contact Deron Nelson. He is the lead investigator. He has been really good to us. The number there is 850-983-1100. I'm glad that you feel that you have somebody in the police department that's handling your case pretty well. That's not very common on this program, so I'm glad to hear that, Lisa. My sister and brother and myself were able to sit with the state's attorney's office. We had a lengthy discussion. We were also able to meet another one of the investigators, and I really don't want to say his name, but he seems to be very um, keenly interested in all the details that we had to show him, and um, we got a really good impression of, of him and his abilities. Um, the state's attorney did let us know that there are a lot of eyes on this case, many departments, and like I said, not only the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Office, but the state's attorney's office is on this as well, including other organizations that are looking into this because now you have like FDLE with the finding of the fire gun, the firearm, and you also have, you know, all of the agency with the drugs and things like that. So there are a lot of people watching this case. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear that it sounds like the both local and law enforcement and Florida, maybe even some federal agencies are taking an interest in Chip's case. Hopefully they can track Tanya down. Hopefully we can get to the bottom of it. Hopefully they can get to the bottom of this. I hope so, too. And I, I would really, if anybody has any information, I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate it. Lisa, I hope that we can have lunch again sometime soon. And I appreciate you being absolutely. on this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I deeply appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. And thank you. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Chip's sister, Lisa Kassoon. I need to apologize for the occasional sniffle that you heard during that interview. My allergies have been kicking up, and I really have to do a better job of controlling them during these conversations. Just going to have to do better in the future. As Lisa stated, she and her family have no idea what happened to Chip. Could he still be out there? Sure. If he was under the effect of drugs, in particular meth, it could have descended him into paranoid delusions and he ran off, and now he's too embarrassed or too wrapped up in his addiction to come back to his family. Could harm have come to him? That's certainly a possibility as well. There were many people around him who were desperate 
addicted, and not afraid of violence. Could one or more of them have harmed Chip? Absolutely. But no matter what you may personally believe, the key is Tanya. She knows. Whether she was an innocent bystander, which I personally don't believe, or that she had more of an active role, which I personally do believe, she is the key. Because if Chip is not with us anymore, Tanya certainly didn't do something to Chip and dispose of him all by herself. Certainly not. So one of those other guys, Thurman, James, somebody else, had to have assisted her, or she assisted them. And you should know that there were a couple other possible accomplices that Lisa and I decided not to mention to make sure it wouldn't tip these men off. So Tanya needs to be found. What I fear is that maybe she's not alive anymore. I think that because you can't find a record of her anywhere since she skipped out on her bail. And she doesn't seem like the type of person to stay out of trouble for long. I would have thought she'd be caught doing something over the last year. But there's nothing, and I would urge all of you to go out and check that for yourselves. So either she's using an alias, possible. She left the country, I'm guessing that's less possible. Or she's deceased, very, very possible, given her lifestyle. And Lisa and I did talk about a few ways she might be able to track Tanya down, but those conversations were off the record. So listeners, you know what Tanya looks like. Post her picture on your Facebook pages, on Twitter, on Instagram. Somebody had to have seen her in the last year if she's still alive. Lisa's family would certainly appreciate it as they look for their brother who got off the path. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to iTunes and give Unfound a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.